years and got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Thank you. Touching you into Mr. Wayne. No, please don't. Um, I need you here now, Barry. You're not here. We're not there. The car exploded. Come get the girls. I have to stay here with Woodrow. I'm not the chauffeur. I'm the grandfather. Where are you? Asteroid City, Farm Route 6, Mile 75. Junior stargazers and space cadets. Each year we celebrate asteroid day. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I am on the last episode of Silo on Apple TV. Hi, I'm producer Dave and I haven't even started watching Silo. Have you heard of Silo before? Yes, I have heard of Silo. Yeah, it keeps on coming up on my Apple TV thing and I keep bypassing it to go and do something else. Yeah, I mean, that, that's okay. So that what used to happen, right? It would pop up when I was watching, when I was going to watch like Ted Lasso and stuff. And it was like, coming soon, Silo. And like, uh, you know, flick through. I didn't even I didn't even watch the trailer, but I saw some of the faces that pop up on there. And I was like, oh, this is, this is, it looks interesting. You know, like Rebecca Hall, David Ayolowo, Tim Robbins, Common... Uh, okay, let, let me rant. Let me let me activate rant. So, okay, I love Common as a rapper, right? His songs, his, his rap tunes are just, they just take me to places, right? Every time I see him pop up on my screen for film and TV, I go, <sighs> and it's like the first time I saw him was in Terminator Salvation. And what what even what irritated me even more of in that was he had a major part in that movie while Terry Crews was just killed off. You only see Ter Terry Crews as a dead body on the floor, right? And it's like, and because Terry Crews' character is Common's brother's character, and it's really, and I, I was like, from that moment onwards, every time I saw Common in a, in a TV show or movie, I'm like. Nah, man, just stick to rapping. It's ridiculous. Anyway, I, re I bring him up mainly because he's popped up in Silo. And as we're talking about Silo, is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a sci-fi show on Apple TV where men and women live in a giant silo underground with several regulations which they believe are in place to protect them from the toxic, ruined world on the surface. It's got Tons of big name actors, Rebecca Hall, I've mentioned earlier, David Ayelowo, uh, well, Common, Tim Robbins, uh, oh, what's his name? Will, not Will Patton? Will Patton, yeah, Will, Pat Will Patton's in it. Um, and uh, what's, what's the, uh, what's her name? 
Quincy Jones's daughter, Rashida Jones. Oof. I, I was like, okay, work backwards from surname to first name. Rebecca, Rebecca Jones. She's um, uh, Rashida Jones. She's in it. Ian Glenn. Uh, just tons of big, like proper character actors that are in it, right? Uh, now, I had no interest in watching it at all. But a friend of mine just kept bothering me, bothering me, saying, have you seen, Have you started watching it? Have you started watching it? And I started sending me links to saying how Stephen King is raving so much about it on Twitter. You should go and check it out. I was like, all right, fine. So there are like 10 episodes. And I jumped in. And I was like, right, I'm going to watch it and see what all the hubbub is about. And I caned seven episodes in two days. It is a good show. It's very good. Another th one thing that's, that's really good about it as well it did the thing that 24 used to do in its early seasons. Same thing Spooks used to do in its early seasons and Game of Thrones used to do in its early seasons, which is kill off main characters like that. Silo did that. Does it rank in my top 20? No, no way, no way. I disagree with Stephen King. There's a lot more great tv show out there silo is all right it's not fantastic uh yeah it's all right it's not so much so okay. today, i have a, I have a question for you i have a question for you. question for you and you've got one minute to answer this question sure which one is better silo or severance that's a good question that's a good question um wow okay I would say Silo. Oh, okay, let me let me let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. They, I mean, Severance was a great show. Severance was a great show. I know that they're working on season two, and I want to watch season two. I really liked it. I think Severance just pips it. One of the reasons why Severance, in my opinion, why it was harder for me to say Severance compared to Silo was that. With with Silo, the plot is very easy to follow, and it's like you can watch it, and you know you know what's going on, you know who the characters are, you know what the motivations. You can even predict the way certain things. Are Ten going. seconds. Okay, Severance. Severance is Severance. That's what I say because Severance was edgy. Severance was new. Had no idea where it was coming from. We still don't know what the freaking mystery is. All we do, we know what the mystery is at the very end. Um, but now we're launching into season two, and it's like, yes, I want to see that. So Severance, Severance wins. Beat okay. Silo. Move yes. on. Wow, producer Dave, don't do that to me. <laughs> I'm going to do that more often, actually. Yeah, you should. That, you give you give me a time time limit, and it's like, oh my goodness. All right, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I am a almost hot uh, attacked um, Marcus E. Echo. and I'm a very glorious producer Dave. <laughs> uh, and later on the show today we have comedian Ali Bryce popping up in our spotlight section with his show I Tried to Be Funny But You Weren't Looking which is going to be playing at the Soho Theatre in London at 9pm on the 3rd and 4th of July very very funny individual he's an award winning comedian has uh, received tons of accolades from very important uh, prestigious uh, mediums for his comedy show. He's got one of his uh, specials streaming on Next Up Comedy called Been Wondering. Go check it out. You can see his, his stuff. 
and uh, remarkably looks like a character that we've just mentioned on the show already. But we'll talk about that during the spotlight section. Uh, so you can check out him on the spotlight section. But before that, we have a little bit of film and TV news beforehand. But let's just jump into it. Film and TV news. <laughs> Before we jump into our conversations about The Flash and Asteroid City, uh, our, our great friend of the show, Jenna Suru, uh, we, we, she was on the show last week talking about her film, uh, Large Door, The Golden Age, which she broke the news to us that she's now coming, bringing it back to the UK again for another run uh, and is going to be in London and it's going to be in Newcastle. We now have dates, dates that we can go. Uh, we have the 21st of september which is a thursday uh, that is going to be in london the everyman cinema on the 21st of september so you have a good amount of time to be able to go and watch it now uh, she has mentioned how a number of agencies are a number of uh, promotion companies are interested in it so it's most likely going to do a longer run after that but when we get more dates we'll let you know we still don't have dates for liverpool um, it's, I said Newcastle. I don't know why I've been saying Newcastle. It's not Newcastle. It's Liverpool. Uh, she, so she's got dates for Liverpool and she's got dates for London. LL, London and Liverpool. We'll find out soon what the Liverpool dates would be. But the London date is going to be the 21st of September, the Everyman Cinema. We'll put more notes close to the time and I'm sure we'll have Jenna back on the show to tell us more where you can go and get it. And maybe even we can try and do some giveaways on the show. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll see. Anyway, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And producer Dave, you had the opportunity to see a film called uh, Asteroid City, is it? Yeah, I went to see Asteroid City. It was a, yeah, it was a nice little screening. Um, it's a Wes Anderson film, and uh, it has, amongst others, starring in it, Jason Schwartzman, Tilda Swinton, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeff Goldblum, Matt Dillon, and several other people. I'm not just going to run through the list, but a little bit of background. It's set in 1950s, 1955, I think, and in a desert town called Asteroid City, where it's supposedly a site where a meteorite landed around about three to 5,000 years previously. Now, a US government... Um, observatory is sited there near the town and the town also hosts an annual convention of teens who have won their school high school projects uh, science projects and at the point well where we join the film is when this convention is just about to start so all the people start gathering you see tilda swinton tom hanks jeff goldblum all these people in various different guises come along. Jeff Goldblum, you might not recognize straight away. I won't tell you what plot he plays, but you might not recognize straight away. One of the things about the film I liked very, very much was the fact that it had that, do you remember that that Technicolor on yes. screen? Technicolor. Yes. It was vivid. The, the colors were so sharp. It was so vivid. So when you're in the desert, the blues are really, really, really blue. What could fox you is the acting. It was very deadpan. Yes. Very deadpan. 
And for me, not having gone to see a, a Wes Anderson film before in a cinema, I'd only seen it on TV. Um, mm. It was kind of perplexing, but luckily for me, I had a good few drinks before watching the film. So, <laughs> I, so, it, uh, so I wouldn't say I was bombed, but I was quite merrily pleasant. And it was a, I, I really enjoyed it. I got over the deadpan really quickly and uh, it was an enjoyable film. I know some people do not like it because it was deadpan. It was set in the fifties and all that stuff. And some of it was a little bit twee and there's a movie within the movie or play within a play that's going on as well. So you, you did require you to pay attention, but Overall, I thought it was good. I thought, yeah, enjoyable. Three and a half to four, I gave it. In actual fact, when I walked out of the cinema, I thought, hmm, three and a half, four. Yeah, and it stuck. You see, that's Wes Anderson for you. It's like, he, it's, you don't even have to see his name on the, on the credits to recognize immediately a Wes Anderson film. There are always the same techniques that he has with all of them for one he uses the same actors jason schwartzman has appeared if not in every single wes anderson film then most of them um i'm sure the the uh the wilsons would appear there luke and owen wilson would appear there some someplace uh jeff goldblum absolutely i'm pretty sure bill murray is in there somewhere uh, all of these people basically reoccur in every single one of his films. So you're talking things like Bottle Rocket, um, Royal Tenenbaums, Life uh, Life Aquatic, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, all of these. And another, you talked about the Technicolor aspect of it. There's also also the framing of of the of every shot. It's always very square on. One guy, one person is looking straight at the, uh, almost almost straight to camera, and then when the camera flips around, the person is always looking almost straight to camera. They always work, you know, walking from one side of the screen to the next. That's the Wes Anderson style. So every time you see it, and I I like it. A dictionary definition of quirky is Wes Anderson stuff. Asteroid City sounds like the kind of thing that I would love. I would watch. I wouldn't go to the cinema to go watch it, which is weird because, as you described, <laughs> Technicolor and and everything, it looks, it, it might be something that might be visually appealing. It'll be very vivid and it would be something that you would gain something from watching it on the big screen. Uh, but ew, I, it's one of those ones where I would probably watch on an afternoon where there's nothing else on and I'll just see it and I'll be like, oh yeah, I've wanted to watch this for a while. And I just pop it on TV and watch it. Uh, I'm I'm rarely ever disappointed by Wes Anderson films, but yeah. So I I think I think Asteroid City I would probably I'll, I'll probably wait till it comes out on TV and I'll watch that. Um. Okay. So you watched Asteroid City. I saw Asteroid City. You saw yeah. Flash. I saw the Flash. Yes. So, ooh, the Flash. Um. If you if you've been hiding on the rock and you don't know what we're talking about, the Flash is. Uh, DC property. We're jumping into the Snyderverse Justice League uh, from a few years ago, and we're looking at the Flash. Which, if you don't know who the Flash is, he's one of the fastest. He's the fastest man, not one of the. He is the fastest man alive, and he can he can run so fast he can actually go back in time. Um, we pick off with we pick up with the same character played by Ezra Miller. Uh, from the, the Justice League movie that came out a few years ago. And the story picks off, picks up 
just after Justice League. So he's now part of the Justice League um, and Karen. Anyway, the main crux of the movie is it's based on the Flashpoint um, storyline in the DC comics. If any of you have read that, if you've read the books, essentially what happens is because Barry, uh, his, his history is that his mother was killed when he was a young boy. His father was arrested for the crime, even though Barry believes his father didn't do it. And so his father's been in jail for so many for, for such a long time, which is what inspired Barry to go into become a criminologist so that he could try and save his dad and get his dad out of prison. And he gets struck by lightning with some chemicals, and that's how he becomes a flash. So in this installment of the Flash, the very first Flash movie. Um, because from Justice League, we find out that Flash can actually go back in time. He can run so fast, he can go back in time. So he puts that into action in this film. He runs back in time so that he can go and stop his mother from being killed. He does that. However, he affects the timeline drastically. And so that's what happens in this particular film. So we get to see a lot of um, you know what, ha what was happened with the timeline. He accidentally gets dropped out of the Speed Force at a point where it's just early on in his life. Um, in fact, coincidentally, this is not a it's a spoiler, but it's in the trailer. It's and so on. He lands on the day that he actually gets his powers. So he gets to meet the younger version of himself on the day he's supposed to get his powers. And because of how he's messed up the timeline. It's also the same day, the same period of time that General Zod attacks Earth looking for Superman. So from Man of Steel is uh, is that installment. So if you go back and see that and so on and so forth. So you get to follow that. Now, did I enjoy the movie? Uh, it was a two and a half hour movie. Um, I, I wouldn't say I felt the two and a half hours. It was okay. Uh, I did enjoy the movie. However... There were a number of elements that really bugged me. Number one element, the CGI is, there's CGI in it that is horrible. And that is not even just me saying it. That's in the news. It's scattered everywhere. There's a whole meme going on where it's, because the movie costs about $300 million to make. And the CGI is atrocious. And the meme says, uh, $300 million, uh, give to Warner Brothers, and this is what you get. And it's literally like the, like the, you know the 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 troll frog image that you get and then you say Zack Snyder and an iPhone and you see a brilliant type of uh, image that's on there and that's exactly what it is this the special effects are horrible especially in certain elements where as he's running back in time you get to see characters from the past and so on I understand why they did that because a lot of licensing they can't get certain people like Henry Cavill who was no longer part of the project but they have to have him in there as Superman, so you got to see him. So it's a CGI version of him. Plus, they have to sort of include, and they use that as an opportunity to include other universe versions of various characters. You get to see certain actors in previous movies who pop up as different characters. I'm just saying that. Obviously, we know from the trailers that uh, an alternate version of Batman pops up, and this is the Batman from the, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy with the weird hair, uh, Tim Burton. Thank you. The Tim Burton uh, movies. So, they, um, so um, Keaton. Keaton. I, I want to say Buster Keaton. I want to say David. Keaton. No, <laughs> Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton played Batman in the uh, in the. I said his name just now. Tim Burton version of the movies. My brain is gone. Um, so he obviously it pops up. 
because of the time travel, et cetera, et cetera. So they bring him in. So it's nice the way they bring him in. If you're familiar with the Flashpoint uh, storyline anyway, there, there, and this is the bit that kind of irritated me, and I'm sure it irritated some fans. Um, okay, I don't know. Let, Producer Dave, I'll throw this question to you. Are, are you familiar with the Flashpoint storyline in the comic books? No, sorry. Is, should I mention the story plot line from the Flashpoint perspective? Or is that spoiler? No, you shouldn't mention it. It's a spoiler. Even though, okay, okay, fair enough. So they they sort of work with the storyline and they hit main major beats from the Flashpoint storyline, but they change those story beats in different ways. If you've seen the trailer, you know what I'm talking about. One of the major characters that is rescued in the Flashpoint um, story is a different character who is similar to the one that's rescued. And so it's like, okay, they change, but that was just fine. It's fine, no problem. It's a great way to bring a different storyline. Um, so I mentioned that the CGI was atrocious. Fair enough, but I can excuse the CGI. Um, I, I think majority of the problem with the movie is that uh, it, it's, the, it's outside influences that are bugging, that are bringing down the film. For example, Ezra Miller has a troubled public persona at the moment. That's one thing. Second thing, Warner Brothers as a whole and the whole DCE, you know, extended universe in, in cinema is having their own issues because Justice League had a crash issue with um, Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon. They had to bring in um, my guy from James Gunn who's now co-heading the DC universe, who's trying to bring everything back in after Shazam 2 and Black Adam, uh, you know, failed at the box office and then Batgirl got canceled even though even though it hadn't been shown and so on. So they, they, all of that stuff feeds into this movie. And you can tell because there are a lot of bits that got cut out, they got tweaked, new characters got brought in, new actors got brought in for certain things. And you're like, what? And so it's like, all right, I'm interested to see how it goes on from here. But anyway, so if you gave a score three, three and a half to four over five for uh, Asteroid City, I would say The Flash for me was a, was a solid three. I'd happily go back and watch it again. Not at the cinema, though. I'd wait for it to come out on, on box office or on, you know, on TV, and I'd watch it there. Anyway. That's my review of The Flash. If you disagree with me or you agree with me and you want to share your opinion, send us a message on Instagram at Shoot the Breeze Show or on Twitter at ST, STB underscore Resonance FM and just let us know what you think about The Flash. So you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And this is Spotlight. <laughs> You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance with a 4.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we have with us a comedian who's bringing his sold-out Edinburgh Fringe Festival uh, run to the Soho Theatre uh, from the 3rd and 4th of July, 2023. Uh, it is the show called I Tried to Be Funny, But You Weren't Looking. We're going to throw a first question at our guest today. First of all, please tell us your name and 
let us know, have you ever seen the show Ted Lasso? Uh, hi, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Uh, my name's Ali. Uh, and yes, I have seen the, the TV show Ted Lasso, all three series. Yeah. What do you think? Okay, so before I move into it, what is your opinion on the three three seasons of uh, Ted Lasso? I like Ted Lasso. I think it's great. And I wasn't sure because I knew it was about football and I don't like football. So I was initially quite resistant. I was like, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm not going to watch it. So I didn't watch the first series until it was all out. Uh, in fact, I don't think I watched the first two series until they were all out and I yeah. binged uh, like watched them all, you know, in a weekend. Um, and I apps, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I think as a non-football fan, I enjoyed it more because I was watching it going, well, I can tell that this isn't a real football match. I can tell this is not how football is. I imagine if I was a football fan, I would find this quite frustrating. But <laughs> as a non-football fan, I was like, doesn't matter because I don't care. Uh, and um, the football element, by the by, whatever, let them get on with it. But I loved it. I thought it was funny. I thought it's like quite wholesome. What well, the first two seasons I thought delivered quite good messages mm-hmm. as a part of the the show. You know, they'd wrap up and it's all about. I loved the mental health element. So I'm just uh, coming coming at it from all angles. I loved the mental health element. I thought it was teased out quite well and done in a sincere way. It wasn't hammered home too much. Like they talked about counselling, anxiety, maybe the disappointment of Nate, who becomes quite a horrible character. I thought that was done quite well. I thought the first two seasons, terrific. And obviously Ted Lasso has a moustache, and I have a moustache. so Which is the it. reason I bring Ted Lasso up. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. yeah. And, and I think it's a, a moustache that's quite similar to mine in like style and shape, which you know you don't see very often. Quite boring your moustache, your moustache like, almost looks like you are cosplaying Ted Lasso yeah, because exactly. that, it's it's <laughs> almost it, it's literally yeah. they lifted it off Jason Sudeikis yeah. and stuck it on your face. <laughs> I, w- I would like to point out that I had it before before Ted Lasso. Before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> before it was cool. Um, but then I watched the third series of Ted Lasso and yeah. I watched it week by week because. You know, that's how it was. I couldn't get it any other way. And I don't feel it was good enough to be a show that I watched week by week. I mean, I still watched every episode. So obviously, yeah. but that was because I, I was like, well, I've watched I've watched them all. So I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to watch it to see it through to the end. So you have to complete it, sure. Yeah, yeah. But every every week I was less and less engaged in the story. I was just like, okay. this is, I was just like, I'm not really bothered by it, and I did find that while the while the like the messages were still there and they were still talking about important issues, I felt they were handled in quite a ham-fisted way. Okay. Do you remember the episode where um, Keely, Keely, I was um, when um, when her um, like video of her engaging in, you know, yes, whatever. So, Certain exploits, yes, um, it, it, it gets gets issued into the public, yes, you know, which is obviously wrong and shouldn't happen. And you know, if you film videos like that, and you know, you shouldn't share them. But there's that scene in the locker room where, and it basically becomes an infomercial for about a minute, and they they 
and they discuss it between the teammates yep. in a really ham-fisted way going, oh, what do you think about that? Well, yeah. I don't know. If you're not the owner of the video, you shouldn't really share it. <laughs> what, what the hell's going on? Like, why, why, like, yes, an important message, but it doesn't need to be done like that. And I felt that happened several times throughout that series. It's like, oh, we've got to get a message in. And it was just like they ceased to be characters and just became like actors in an advert. Okay. So, yeah. I've, you know I've, what? Okay. See, I am a, if, if you've ever listened to the show, you would know that I am a huge Ted Lasso fan and I will mm. fight to the death okay. to defend season three. Yeah. Um, you do, you, you are, you, you obviously do, uh, your, I agree with your points in exactly mm. how you've mentioned it. So I, and I, so I'm not saying you're wrong at all because you're not. Um, yeah. In a lot of the in the comparison to season one and season two, um, where a lot of the issues that were brought up, they they stretched out those those. Uh, as you even mentioned it uh, correctly, they teased certain things mm. like the like the issues with anxiety. It wasn't a case that it was brought in in one episode and completely resolved in one episode. Yeah. It was teased out across a number of episodes, and you can if you go back and watch it, you get to pick up hints as yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. leading towards certain things, and then a final resolution. Whereas with season three, it seemed to be more episodic, and it moved yeah. more in the line of. Uh, your after-school specials, where mm. it's a case of each episode we're dealing with one issue and we've got everything and it's going to be resolved by the end of that issue. So I I, I agree with you on that point in the sense that that because there's also the issue of what are the players' sexuality handled yeah. entirely in one episode. You have the episode uh, with um, with them. It's the same episode. It was the same episode, and well, I disagree with that. Yeah, and I disagree with that little one because that one, that particular um, thing about his sexuality started from season one. It was no, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. From True. season I mean, one, right the way through. To be quite honest, yeah. the way they wrapped it up, they brought in that thing with Keeley. If you see yeah. what I mean, so th that was used as a, a vehicle to wrap up that particular uh, person's sexuality. But anyway, carry on. No, no, producer Dave, you are absolutely one hundred percent right on that. In the sense that that in, and it even uh, it. Honestly, it slipped my mind that they had already been teasing and leading up towards that particular issue. Um, I think if I were to agree with Ali at one point, the Keeley issue, the subject of uh, the Keeley with, with the uh, photos that got leaked, that in itself is also a huge plot uh, plot device as well. It's a huge story that, didn't, if, I, if I'm being honest, didn't it needed more than one episode to just... Yeah wrap it all up so to have that as the mechanism to resolve the uh, the story that's been coming up if i would agree with ali in the sense that that is what kind of gave it or it could, could give the accusation that it, it has become a an after school special where everything's being resolved in one episode because you have two major situations that occur and are resolved in that mm. same episode whereas if you had split it up a little bit had it done a little bit more then that would have gone away. But regardless, I thought season three was fantastic. But we're not here to talk about Ted Lasso. We're here no, to talk fine. about Ali Bryce, uh, yeah. who is who whose TV he's a he's a comedy show. I tried to be funny, but you weren't looking, was a smash hit at Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2022, and you're yeah. bringing it to Soho Theatre. So, um, Ali, you've been doing comedy for a very long time. I've been asking a number of comedians when they come on the show to yeah. tell us a little bit about themselves. Let's start with you. 
Uh, how long have you been doing comedy and why did you decide to go into stand-up comedy? Um, well, I've been doing, I did my first uh, solo stand-up gig in 2009, I think. 14 years, yeah. 2009, that, that's, yeah, that's, we're talking 10, years. and then 14 years, yeah, 14 years. 14 years so 15 years next year. Um, uh, and, I, and I loved it. Uh, and I've always been... I was never into like as a kid. I was never into music or football or like sports that kind of thing. Uh, and then one day I discovered. Um, I think my dad was watching Harry Enfield and Chums, and I just remember being like, "Wow, what's this? These people like making people laugh." I found it fascinating, and then I found, then I discovered stand-up comedy, and I was I was like, "Whoa, what what is this?" I think I was watching like Ken Dodd, uh, Lee Evans tapes that I'd hire f- uh, rent from the video shops. And then as a teenager, I'd get home late from like going out and and I'd there'd be these TV shows called Live at the Comedy Store or Live at Jonglers where they'd have club comedian sets yeah. on the TV. And I just, I absolutely loved it. I was fascinated by it. I wanted to know everything about it. So I just, from a young age, I'd always wanted to be a comedian. Then I started being funny at school. And then I, there was one moment when I was like eight and at, at primary school and my friend at the time, Joe Bardi, I made him laugh and he said, are you going to be a stand-up comedian? And I was like, yeah, yeah, probably. Like, it's just been like, I've, I've just loved it forever. And then it just took a long time to kind of pluck up the confidence to to get up on stage and do it. But I went to uni and I met my friend, um, good friend of mine still, Alan Larter, who um, is the head of the a Weirdos Comedy Collective, which is like a group of comedians um, spread out through all, the, through all the UK, if not the world now, who kind of assemble when Alan says, I'm going to do a pantomime. And he writes it and we all put stupid costumes on and do these pantomimes every year. Um, anyway, I met him at uni and we we talked three years for three years about performing. And then one day he booked us into an open mic night. And I said, oh, just to watch. And he was like, no, 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 we're performing. And he wrote a sketch and we did a double act together. Wow, so that that's was, that, throwing you into the deep yeah, end. Yeah. That was my first time performing comedy. That was a double act. That was... I think that may have been 2009, but I I was terrified, like sick with nerves. But then people laughed and it was thrilling. It was like like a high, real big high, like so excited. And I was like, I like that. That is fun. And that gave me the confidence to kind of do it on my own. So I, I totally do- see exactly yeah. what you mean with regards to the it's it's it sounds it sounds like an exaggeration. But unless you're in that situation, you would never really feel it. Where yeah. to be on stage and to make a whole bunch of strangers laugh at something mm. that you said or done, yeah, it, it is a drug that you yeah. use. And it's, it, it's it's a drug without injecting anything into your into yeah. your body. If anything, it releases far more endorphins into your system that keep you on a high. Yeah, it is worse than al- alcohol or drugs or whatever yeah. because you always want to chase that high and it's always it never seems to be the same the next time you go and do it no. and that's where you get hooked yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
and you, I mean, you've, you've been doing it for close to 15 years now. Yeah. Um, so with, with all of the different shows, in fact, looking at your, your biography, you've been doing, you've, you've done a number of solo runs yeah. as you've moved away from working as part of a double act or working as part yeah. of the pantomime group. Um, and in fact, am, am I, am I correct in understanding that this one, this particular show, I tried to be funny, but you weren't looking. Is, your, is that your sixth or is that, um, uh, it's, uh, four, I did my first solo show in 2014, then two years off for the pandemic. Seventh, eighth, can't, I can't count, can't work no, out. No, wait, wait. Yeah. So, yeah, so you've yeah, done- I've done a number of them. Yeah. You've done a number of solo shows. Um, and I will come back to, to the uh, to the pandemic in just a second. Yeah, um, yeah. So every year, have you been going up in, in the 14, 15 years, let's take oh. away the, the two years. Have you been going yeah. to Edinburgh Fringe yeah. every single year? Oh, yeah, but then I did, I did, uh, I, I've been every year since 2010 that I could go, but 2010, 11, 12, and 13 were all uh, either doing a show with other people or or I did a play with Alan in 2013, like a two-hander thing. And then from 14 onwards, it's been solo shows. So it's okay. So, so yeah. that's that. That's great. So that's the point yeah. I'm trying to. I was leading to where yeah. you've you've because you've been doing it for so long. Obviously, you've done numerous, countless shows, yeah. and then you've actually gone in and started building. Uh, we've been talking to a number of comedians who have recently started taking up their first full right. hour or second yeah. or third. You've gone up to seventh. When yeah. you've gone up to Edinburgh, you've crushed it. As the reviews have been saying, um, when you went up to do your first Edinburgh show. Yeah. What was the the moment that in you you decided yes I feel this is right for me to now go and stand up by myself and do a full hour and present that to the rest of the world and say that's what I'm well, doing. I, I can tell you why. So that was August 2014, and I, so I'd been to the Fringe 10, 11, 12. So that was my it was my fifth Edinburgh, and Alan, who I'd been going with, he'd already done two solo shows by this point, and he was like, just do a solo show. And I was like, yeah, maybe. Then I decided that I was going to, I was all signed up to do a PGCE and become a teacher. And that was going to begin in September 2014. And I was going to move out of London and go down south. I'm from Horsham in West Sussex, but I was going to go to uni even further down south in Chichester. And so I wasn't going to be in London. I was going to be back at uni, completely doing a different thing. And I thought, well, it's now or never. I'll do a solo show because uh, I've got to do it at least once. And so I did the solo show, but then I got a four star review from Chortle, which is like a massive comedy website. Absolutely, yeah. Bible. And then the day after that, I was doing my show and I was doing crowd work and I noticed a person on their own and I said, Oh, why, why are you here on your own? And they said, Oh, I, I read the Chortle review. I was like, Oh, great. Oh, awesome. Then at the end of the show, that same person handed me a card and said, here's my card, like, you know, like in the movies. And I was like, all right. And it was like a massive talent agency. And then I went back home and I was like, after the fringe, and I was looking at it early September going, I think I should probably email this person. And uh, went in for a meeting and they were like, yeah, yeah, we'll sign you. And I was like, right, well, I can't do the PGCE anymore. <laughs> you should have seen my mum's face when I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing the PGCE anymore. She had crestfallen. But, you know, I had to see what happens. And here we are. 
You know? I, I I wonder how many mothers um, don't get disappointed when their kids turn around to them and say they mm. want to pursue a career in stand-up yeah. comedy. Yeah, yeah. So luckily, luckily it worked. I mean, that first show like just came together. I, I think back to it, and I'm like, it just like, it just came. I don't, I don't even know where it came. Like fully formed. I was doing this character called Eric Meat, who was like this northern guy, like completely different from me like really aggressive, really stupid. Like it was really surreal, silly character comedy to go from that to this show at the Soho, which is like just me talking about my mental health. It's been a real journey of discovery of performance in those, across those eight shows or however many I've done. And we're going to talk about that in just yeah, a second. Sure. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we are here with Ali Bryce, comedian. He's he's been rocking it for for fifteen years as a stand up comic, uh, performing uh, numerous uh, critically raved reviews from Edinburgh Fringe, as you as you mentioned a few minutes ago from Chortle. Um, you've been packed a member of the Weirdos Collective of Alternative Comedians, performing numerous places, and you now have a show which is going to be at the Soho Theatre. Uh, from the 3rd and 4th of July, 2023. I tried to be funny, but you weren't looking. Go on, check that show out. Uh, and it's it was a fully packed, sold out run in Fringe uh, 2022. And now you're bringing it to Soho Theatre. Before we start talking yeah. about your influence for that particular show, I want to ask you this, because we've already been talking a little bit about Ted Lasso. Yeah. Um, uh, what TV shows, what films in particular would you think, would would you call to mind that have influenced you now uh, 15 years on from starting off as stand-up comedy, what films or TV shows influence you now and influence your comedy now? Oh, that is a great question. Have you seen, like right now, currently, and there's just been a new series out, have you seen um, I Think You Should Leave Now by uh, Tim, is it Tim Robbins? I've seen a couple, it's a sketch show, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen a couple of the sketches... I love the couple I've seen. I want to get into it and start watching it. And the, my 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 favorite of the ones I've seen so far is the one where he's in a drive-through, and uh, he he he's asks what the order is for the person behind him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he pays for it uh, he, yeah, because yeah. it's a scam that he's trying yeah. to do. I love that. Yeah, that's so. so you want to jump into it? Yeah, yes. yeah. So that I like that because of the. Um, I mean, it's just it's just stupid. It's just bizarre, and I and I love the fact that someone's, you know, been given money to go away and make um, make that show. So I think that's um, although it's again, it's not really my style these days, but I like I like that that exists, and I have kind of because he's quite a manic, unhinged performer. Like he's not he's not subtle in his performance. He just like he'll start off just talking, and then like immediately he's shouting and screaming and like and I love that and I guess there is an element of that in my shows when I do crowd work I'm quite unhinged and immediately shouting at people <laughs> in, in yeah. a fun way no of um, course here's a here's a little a little element of kismet uh in in um the fact that you just mentioned that um mm. uh, that particular tv show um he was I first saw him um in another tv show uh, which was called um it was the Detroiters. That's where I first saw him. Oh, uh, where it's he's a double act with him, 
and Sam Richardson. And Sam Richardson is one of the best villains to appear on Ted Lasso. He's one of my favorite. He's the he's the one who comes in as the Ghanaian billionaire. Oh yeah, he he's brilliant. Buy. Yes. So, yeah, uh, so, so the fact that you mentioned it, it just it's it's sort of nice tie in with back yeah. to the original topic of Ted Lasso. Yeah, and he he pops up in a few. Um, I think you should leave sketches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I think I think they're tight. I think I saw an interview of them ages ago where they they do work together quite a bit whenever they get a chance. But that's kind of you, comedians. Obviously, you, you when you found someone that you work with, like yourself and the uh, yeah. Weird Collective, you found people who sort of have the same sort of sense of humor. You you latch into something that's there, and you always want to work together with them. Yeah. Um. But let's forget about those people. Let's yeah. talk more about you. So, uh, your your show now. Uh, I tried to be funny, but you weren't watching. Tell us what influenced it. And uh, and where we see, so what influenced you creating that as a show and coming to show everyone else? Okay, um, well I wanted, I mean it, it's about me. So the that's my main. It's about my journey with therapy and my mental health. I had a pretty dark time at the end of twenty eighteen, and uh, you know tried to take my own life. So it's about that, uh, but it's funny and it's not sad. It's not. Um, yeah, it's a positive show about looking after yourself, and I wanted to make a show that had I seen it in 2018 or as a younger man, I may have made some different choices, right? Uh, and it's tried to say that if it only helped helps one person, I've done my job. But in the fringe, and when I've when I've performed it, people have come up to me or sent me messages on social media and said thanks for doing that show I found it really helpful or uh, a, um, a parent came up to me and said oh I found that really helpful my son's a lot like you it was great to hear someone talking about it in such an honest way but it is ultimately stupid it is really silly it's shot through it's like ridiculous uh, it's really fun but um, and I think a lot of shows you watch that talk about ser- you know quote unquote serious themes always use the the serious moment like as a like towards the end to make like as a bomb and they go and this happened and they like pause and everyone's meant to feel sad and like revel in this big like revelation that they've done whereas I just talk about it from the get-go get out of the way and then it allows you to just talk about what you want in a silly way um so so that's that's what I wanted to that that's what I wanted to do. And my my influences from the world of stand up, um, I love, uh, cr- I love crowd work and I love seeing things that happen in the moment that you know are only happening in that show. And there are some. Uh, Ed Axel is a really great in- influence. He's a very funny comedian. Uh, in in Doctor Brown, I like clowning. If you've heard like a lot, like his show I saw in 2012 was like one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I just love watching clowning because although it's the same material, different things happen and you know it's special. And you know it's like not going to happen again. And then there are other people like John Kearns is a great comedian who does crowd work. He's a very big influence of mine. So they're they're the influences and what I uh what I wanted to do, but I'd, I'd never seen someone talk about such a serious topic 
in a fun way. And then I saw um, uh, a dude comedian who's fast becoming my favourite comedian, Johnny Pelham. Okay. He has a very, very serious show about a very, very serious issue, and he handles it in like like he's just funny. And there were no, there were he he made no excuses for the topic of his show. He just came out, talked about it, and was funny. And I was like, oh wow, this is the kind of thing I want to do. He's fantastic. There was a there was a quote I can't remember for the life of me who said it. Uh, but they were talking about films and it mm. was an interview where they were discussing um, delivering messages mm. uh, through film. And uh, they were critiquing, I think it was a film critic, I can't remember. They were talking about how a lot of films, the reason why a lot of films these days uh, tend to crash and burn and people aren't interested in them is because you can see the message is being plastered all over yeah, the yeah, film yeah. itself. Um, and that is not a way to get a message across. If you want to get a message, use comedy. Yeah. Um, because and they were referencing they referenced uh sling blade as a film they referenced which was uh which basically obviously you got billy bob thornton he's he's playing someone who is who who's, has mental difficulties etc and they're because they know he's from the south so they know immediately people are going to be watching that film from the south the, you know, I'll, I'll just say racists will, right. you know, be drawn yeah. to that particular character yeah. because he's supposed to be the funny yeah. character. And then you hit them with the message as it goes through. And that's one of the ways you deliver it through comedy. And you, as you pointed out as well, having a lead, we talk about Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso discusses a whole bunch of serious yeah. themes, but it's funny and it's delivered in a way it, yeah. it makes the medicine go down sweeter, right? So exactly. Yeah, completely understand where you're coming from with the fact that you had you were going through a very trying moment in your life, uh, and you've put that because of your your own struggles with your your mental health, and you've put that out on on stage. Yeah, um, and you, you're getting that response from people who are able to hear you make fun of something that's so serious rather than just lecturing at them. So yeah. I understand why people are connecting with you. Now the question I want to ask uh, with regards to that is. When you when you decide to actually step up on stage, what you obviously because your show you've built it up to get to that point. How do you manage to power on through before you get to the stage performance? Because obviously you're going to be testing it out, right? You're going to go to open mic nights and you're going yeah. to do the you know testing your material and such. But then you there's that part where you have to open up for the first time and try a joke which may not work. How do you deal with that joke not working the very first time you try it when it's something very deep and very personal? Yeah, to yourself? it's a tough one because I did, I did uh, a gig probably long before, long before the pan, well, before the pandemic. It was a long time ago, anyway. Where I the very first time I tried talking about anything, and I, I like, I kind of talked, well, I, I explicitly talked about why. I needed therapy and it felt bad, you know, and, and people were like, uh, this is, this is too much. And then I was like, okay, right. I'm going to have to go away and, and think about this for a bit. And then I did, um, over the pandemic, I did, I did therapy. So for those two years, I was in therapy once a week, um, and like working through issues and stuff. And I, uh, um, and this is also part part of the journey because I didn't tell anyone I was doing therapy and I work for a mental health charity. So every day I'm telling people 
oh yeah, talk, open up, look after yourself. And at the same time, I was like, well, I'm not telling anyone I'm going to therapy. This is like, this is I'm keeping that a secret because I'm, you know, if, if you're going to therapy, you've, you've failed somehow. Uh, so there was that going on, you know, the juxtaposition. And then after I'd been doing therapy for about six months, I just felt this massive lifting. And like I opened up and was like, oh, wow, this is the best thing I've ever done. This is life changing. There's no, absolutely no shame in this. So that from that point on, I was like, look, I've got to put my money where my mouth is. And if if it comes up in conversation, I'm going to be like, yeah, obviously at work, I'm still talking about it. But I mean, in my personal life, if um if it comes up in conversation, I'll be like, therapy's good. It's positive. If you think you need it, go for it. There's no shame in it. So that's why I was like, oh, what am I going to write my next show about? Well, I've had all these experiences. I'm going to talk about therapy and how positive it is and hope hope that I can make um make the changes in other people's lives. I've gone off topic there, but then then I went That happens constantly on this yeah. show. Feel free to go for it. Yeah, then when the pandemic was over and gigs were coming round, I was like, "Oh right, well now I'm going to talk about this." And it was scary, but I I just wrote I sat down and for an afternoon and I just wrote like a little story out and booked a room above uh, the Camden head in Camden. And um, this time I didn't learn it. I was like, I'm going to go up, go on stage and I'm gonna, just going to read out what I've written. And if it works, I'll know I can carry on. And if, if it doesn't work, I can just screw up this paper and throw it away. So I read it out and they, they were like, I put jokes in it and, uh, and they, and people laughed and I was like, Oh, I'm onto something here. Cause that's the first time I've ever really, explicitly talked about myself and it was funny people resonated with it and I enjoyed telling it you know I was scared I was like I'm not sure I want to talk about this it's the first time I talked about my suicide attempt on stage so there were people friends in the audience who you know I'd not talked about it with or people that didn't know about it and I don't know how how they if people were going to listen to that and go oh why is he talking about that that's this isn't this isn't funny this isn't the this isn't the you know fodder for comedy but it worked and people did laugh and i was like oh no and it it felt useful for me and i enjoyed it and was like right i'm on to something here um so then we then i built from there and obviously there were times it's a it's a tough one because it, obviously it's not funny but you've got to make it funny and there are times i think when you're talking about a serious thing and it's all right for it to just be serious. You know, if you know, in a couple of lines, there's going to be a joke. So there is a, there is a tricky balance. And sometimes the balance was wrong in the early days. And I was like, what am I doing? This is, but I was committed at that point, And I was like, right, I've got to figure out how to make this work because I'm doing this for a month in Edinburgh. And if I'm, if, if, if it's like this every time and it's, silent and people are going oh god what's this guy doing something you know it's not going to work so it was a lot of hard work i walked around a park where i lived maybe four months before the show with my girlfriend and i was in tears going what am i doing I, I, if, if i can't do this every day at the fringe this is going to be awful and then she sat down with me and we worked through it and my director helped me and and ultimately I got the balance right and it worked, but there was, it was really scary for, for like, like a month or so, you know, but I, I yeah. 
That's good. Uh, you, you mentioned that you work for a charity. Do you want to uh, give the charity a shout out so people can? Uh... Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I work for Movember, which is a men's health charity that um, uh, their cause areas are male mental health and suicide prevention, prostate cancer and testicular cancer. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Great, great charity. Ooh. We'll put a link to them on yeah. the uh, on the show notes for the show. Uh, and we've been speaking with Ali Bryce, who is taking his uh, Edinburgh sold out show. I tried to be funny, but you weren't looking. It's going to be at the Soho Theatre from the 3rd and the 4th of July uh, this year. So go check it out. Um, Ali, social media tags, when people need to follow you to know more about your shows, how can they follow you? Uh, I am twice Bryce Bryce. That's B-R-I-C-E. Twice, Bryce, Bryce on everything. Okay. And see, that's how you do social media. You keep the same social media tag, unlike we, unlike yeah. we do, and unlike uh, some of the other uh, comedians we've been talking with recently. Yeah. Uh, so the only great. problem is, twice, Bryce, Bryce isn't, remem- isn't memorable at all. It's a really awkward thing, but it's the first thing I set up, and I've just, I've just locked onto it. I'm not doubling it- down. It, 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 everyone remembers that it's twice yeah. Bryce Bryce. So yeah. so as long as people don't make a mistake and say no no he says Bryce twice so it's yeah. Bryce Bryce. <laughs> yeah. No it's twice Bryce Bryce. That's yeah. exactly what it is. <laughs> and and just before we get we get you to leave, um, as you are self-confessed member of the of the weird collective mm-hmm. of alternative comedians, who is your favorite alternative comedian who is in film or television that we can shout out? Um, well, I'd have to say. Uh, Oh, film or television? John Kearns. He was on Taskmaster recently. Um, uh, who I can shout out? What T- Tim and Eric? I'm trying to think of Sam Campbell. He won Edinburgh last year. Okay, you look out for him. And then Spencer Jones and Lucy Pearman. All these Excellent. people are going to be like stars, I reckon. Fantastic. Ali Bryce, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze. We hope you, we wish you absolute success and we definitely want you to come back on so we can do a full dissection and analysis of all three seasons of Ted Lasso. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. Excellent. Thank you very much. Take care. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me. And that was our conversation with comedian Ali Bryce talking about his show, I Tried to Be Funny, But You Weren't Looking, which is playing at Soho Theatre in London from 9pm from on the 3rd and 4th of July. Go and catch it and tell Ali that you came to see it because we told you to go see it and comment about his moustache because he's Ted Lasso. You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I want to thank you all very much for taking the time to listen to me ramble and producer Dave telling me off. Uh, it, it's 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 uh, it's a pleasure for me that somebody is out there, even if it's just one or two people that listen to this show and you think it's meh, that's good. I like that. It's okay. <laughs> uh, and, and I want to, want to thank Resonance FM for not listening to our show because if they did, they'd cancel us in a heartbeat. So go and support Resonance they have a Patreon account that's now coming up. We'll talk about that more in a couple, few weeks to come. So you can go and support them. They're an arts charity that they're helping, you know, put out information about arts uh, with theater, music, uh, literature. Fantastic work done by very lovely people. Go and support them on their website, resonancefm.com. 
You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still producer Dave. Then thank you very much for listening. And I'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.